Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Mocha Deminti podcast. I'm Colborn Bell, joined today by conceptual artist Sterling Crispin. Sterling, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked. It's it's a real pleasure and a real honor. I would love to just give the space in the beginning for you to tell uh, your story. Um, anything you want to share, just some background and intro so everybody is familiar with you. Cool, yeah. So, hey, um, Sterling Crispin. I've uh, been making art with technology for a long time, artist and software engineer by day. Um, and, yeah, I, I like to call myself a conceptual artist because I really just let my ideas kind of take me wherever they're going. And um, sometimes it veers off into places I've never been, but I kind of see my uh, art career like a big spiral where I kind of return to the same ideas over and over again. Um, I've been making NFTs for, I don't know, the last 18 months or something like that, but um, been in crypto for a little while longer. I have uh, was mining Bitcoin in 2015, and um, of course, I lost it all to, to a wallet I don't have access to anymore. Um, and yeah, I spend most of my uh, day job time working in the AR, VR industry, um, doing like design work and technology prototyping. Wonderful. So maybe maybe let's start there. You know, I think uh, unlike some or perhaps most, you have a very uh, rigorous understanding of kind of like the underlying protocols and and um, all of the coding. I think you write in Solidity. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yep. um, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a blockchain developer yet because there's some like very hardcore people out there. But yeah, I, I uh, I've got my hands dirty for sure. And it certainly does tie into your practice, which is very unique. Yeah. So maybe we could, yeah, maybe we could start and talk about um, some of, I guess, those uh, principles that you like to explore with smart contracts. Um, and I'll leave that rather open-ended. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think one of the interesting things with smart contracts in general is that, you know, ETH is kind of just like programmable money and you can do whatever you can imagine and code with it, you know? So, you know, there's some criticism that like crypto is like this hyper capitalist, you know, ex accelerated thing, but there's no, um, that's not by necessity, you know, it's just like things that have emerged and just like with NFTs and the profile picture and the 10K collection and the animals facing one way, you know, like all that stuff is just like stuff that's emerged um, through market dynamics. And like um, the NFT protocol doesn't uh, require any of that to be happening. It's like extremely open and flexible. And, um, you know, it's likely that in the future, most NFTs won't look like that they do today, right? It'll just like become its own thing. And yeah, people treat NFTs like they're a category instead of like a fundamental technology that could um could really take a lot of shapes and it's the same way with um you know crypto in general like obviously they're it's awesome for just doing like financial settlements instantly instead of going through like 15 intermediaries and like a week of waiting for um international wires and stuff to settle so obviously that's like a big use case but there's um there's so much more and i feel like as artists and creative people it's um it's awesome to just like make stuff up and experiment and like break the rules and and try stuff out 
And you know, some of the the first work that I became familiar with were your uh, NFT concepts on Foundation, and I really applaud both kind of the the rigor and the challenge that you bring to people through those works, uh, but but also the playfulness and getting people to recognize that it really is the values kind of that they bring and input. I think at the same time, um, not only is there the one I think that I got where you know it talks about this is not the art piece. Maybe the token is the art piece, but then there's also, you know, if you buy this one, I'm going to go buy a Porsche or if you buy this one, you know, I'm going to go donate all the proceeds to, you know, a food bank. Um, can we talk about kind of those early experiments? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, I went to art school, um, and think a lot about like form and content and how, like, you know, taking the same artwork in a different material changes the meaning of the artwork right like if it's a collage or a painting or you know a graphite drawing like those all actually the medium um contains cultural information that changes um how it's interpreted and what it is and yeah i think a lot about like how abstract expressionism is like painting about painting right mm -hmm. and if you think about like nfts like what what would an nft about nfts even mean and i think you know since since then, in the last 18 months, there have been a lot of people exploring that. But yeah, I wanted to make my first seven sort of as conceptual artworks, kind of in the style of um, Yoko Ono has this awesome book called Grapefruit that are it's just like written, written messages as artworks. So I was thinking of a bunch of like sort of provocative and playful statements like, you know, what is an NFT? Like, is it the token? Is it the image that's embedded in the token or linked to the token, right? Um, is it the idea that you're, you know, having as you experience the artwork? Like, where does the artwork really exist? And um, one of the one of the NFTs is kind of saying that, like, it's just in your perception. It's not really the token. It's not really the image. It's like this human experience you're having with the art. That's where the artwork is, right? Um, and that would be property as a consensual hallucination. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's there's a few that's that one too. Just like the whole idea that you can even own property is like a total um, <laughs> is a total thing humans have made up, right? There's there's no actual such thing as property, and people are like, you can't own an NFT. It's just like a thing in a database, and it's like, <laughs> what's a deed? You know, it's just this like piece of paper, and we all agree that if you have this piece of paper, then you own this lumber in the shape of a house like it's all just stuff we've made up and agree upon yeah and i think probably you know in in the early beginnings there was no <laughs> you know this this was really a, a consensual hallucination from artists that you know there there could be a better way and we could use these uh tools and I'm, i guess where this question is going is you know there was so much early promise and then there was this incredible like market spillover effect um and i'm curious now kind of in retrospect uh how you're thinking of this this evolution um yeah i mean like i said i think there's the space of what hasn't been done is so much bigger than what's been done and that's really exciting to me um i think a lot about friends of mine who went to art school and, you know, like haven't gotten into the NFT space and how, you know, power tends to consolidate just in any system. And um, I've sort of like, I read a blog post about it, but I, I really feel like 
profit sharing and you know artists owned cooperatives and stuff have a huge um role in the future right where you could imagine a bunch of people collaborating and making work in a certain style or people producing work anonymously or pseudonymous anonymously under like one moniker and sharing the mm. profits that way or like five percent of every sale on foundation just goes to everybody like why not or five percent yeah. goes to charity like there's so many more kinds of like economic models i feel like beyond the um the medium itself is uh is super super exciting yeah and i think a, a wonderful point because that was really explored also in the beginning it was almost a uh it was certainly an implicit agreement that you know when an artist would make a big sale and we're talking a thousand two thousand dollars uh they would go out and they would buy you know three or four pieces three three hundred four hundred bucks and there really was kind of like this flow down effect and this and this lifting up and kind of a more egalitarian community-based approach artists becoming collectors of other artists that they appreciated signaling to potential collectors, you know, what they liked. And it really did build these ecosystems. But I think really after kind of the, the monster sale of Beeple is when it became much more individual focused and then kind of whether it was venture capital or Hollywood executives, they began to build different kind of capital narratives around individuals. Uh, and perhaps the question is, I mean, <clears throat> is will experimentation, do you think, continue to lead us to new new models? I, I think so. And um, I think like that's almost one of the things that um, that will lead to that is that like, you know, if you're, you know, um, becoming super well known for a certain style, you're sort of disincentivized from leaving that style, right? Because everybody wants to buy that kind of work and you become known for a certain thing. But if there was like a pseudo anonymous profit sharing collective that you could just like whip up some funny Peppy the Frog meme that is like totally not like your work and just like throw it out there and see if people like it. And if it sells, like all your friends get a cut and it's like way more playful and like, um, like free in a way. I feel like I'm, I'm a big advocate of like, you know, experimentation and freedom and having fun and stuff. So I feel like um there's there's plenty more space for that yeah i'm i'm right there with you and and maybe it's a question about perhaps uh the nature of of the currency that we use so i think i'm quite curious what was your initial draw to something like bitcoin and is kind of like going to to the very beginning and dealing with the value layer again ethereum is very abstract we we could use it every day bitcoin is also rather abstract it's intangible um but people have come together and increasingly said this is more and more valuable yeah um totally i mean it's it is a trip it's a big social experiment and and in a way like you said it's just it's valuable because we all agree that it is and like why why wouldn't it be more valuable than gold like gold is such a ridiculous <laughs> gold is so yeah. ridiculous if you think about it um but yeah i think i got really into bitcoin i mean i, I heard about it in like 2011 on Slashdot, this like really nerdy news site and i had like 11 computers at the time that were just like literally doing nothing in my art studio and i was like oh, i should buy bitcoin and i was like ah it's gonna be a waste of time i'm not gonna do that so i already kind of like had this weird you know regret about it um 
And then I was in LA, like working, um, working at this tech startup and thinking a lot about like Ray Kurzweil and his singularity books about like humans and computers, you know, merging and, you know, a thousand dollars worth of computing power being equivalent to like every human brain on the planet. People were talking about like delivering uh, groceries, groceries with drones, but at the same time, like uh, California's um, farming with like 10,000 year old groundwater and we don't know how much of it's left. And like the environment is spiraling out of control. And I was like, all this stuff is happening at the same time. This is, this is kind of crazy. So I started making sculptures that were kind of like this fusion of all these insane narratives. And it felt like for some reason, Bitcoin was like somewhere in there at this like fulcrum of optimism and abandoning the old world and making a new world and just like trying to make sense of all this like geopolitical change. And um, since 2015, it just seems like it's become even more of a fulcrum point for that like geopolitical change because the dollars is getting, you know, weaker. I don't want to say it's getting weaker, but you know, like things have gotten really messy, you know, and people are, people are speculating more on, on um, Bitcoin. And so, yeah, that's kind of what drew me in originally. And um, I really like got more into NFTs watching all the machine learning artists I follow on Twitter over the years. They were like super early into super rare. And uh, you know, that's, that's kind of my like rabbit hole into that. Okay, let's see if I can phrase this correctly. I mean, it's such an interesting dichotomy, right? Because we're on kind of this transhumanist path, right? At the same time that we're in like an environmental, perhaps collapse, institutional collapse. Um, do you see uh, kind of like a, a saving grace promise in humans continuing to like fuse with machines to perhaps find better answers to the problems that we may not be able to perceive and kind of collect action around? I, I do, you know, I feel like um, machine learning right now, they're just like big pattern finding systems. And like our brain is arguably like a pattern, pattern finding system. And our world has gotten so complex that like having more um, insights into by these like pattern finding systems of like how we can sort of navigate our way out of um, complex situations, I think is going to be super helpful. Um, I mean, we definitely need to like slow down on our CO2 uh, footprint and figure out new ways of cooperating. I mean, I kind of, I don't want to say I'm a pe pessimist, but I kind of feel like there's going to be some like majorly painful moments until people finally start agreeing with each other because people just they don't even agree that it's even happening so it's like you can't take radical action if 40 percent of people don't think it's happening right um but yeah i feel like we've always we've always been like evolving and um co-evolving with um our technology and i i read something really interesting the other day where someone was talking about how our domestication of dogs gave us heightened sense of hearing and smell as like a co-species so that like suddenly we were much harder to be a prey to predators and it like increased our survival odds and sort of like changed us as a species having this other 
species with us and like yeah like you're saying like technology is sort of it's where it's kind of like our second mind right like i don't remember phone numbers anymore there's so much stuff that i'm storing on the cloud and relying on insights from software and stuff so it's it's definitely already happening like we're already we're already cyborgs right a hundred percent two questions and i don't know which one to ask first but do you think and i kind of feel this way to do you think that uh almost this again this the addition of machines is kind of um instead of kind of leveling the playing fields really giving you know power to the people that can can access those and then how do we ensure that the people that have access begin to deal ethically with that power yeah really really um good point and good criticism of all this stuff um like the saying goes like the future is here it's just not evenly distributed right like um, right. the people in power have uh you know insane healthcare if they want it and yeah tons of insights there's you know people like um peter thiel and his like uh crazy crazy investment companies that he could probably access all kinds of um uh, you know geopolitical information through um but yeah it's um it's a trip like there's we definitely live in a time of like really great inequality and it's optimistic but it's possible that like you know advanced enough robots will become cheap enough that they'll sort of um replace the labor force of people and that sounds scary at first but like i think we do like elon musk was saying we have like a labor shortage like imagine if you know america's population of 380 million or whatever rat imagine if we had like 700 million uh robots that work 24 7 building us whatever we wanted like mm. food and basic stuff would be so cheap it would be free it would just be this like insane abundant society that we lived in um and you know stuff like that kind of gives me hope like who knows if we'll get there but um it's it's a possibility yeah, look, I, I fully believe we don't have a resource problem. We have a resource allocation problem, mm -hmm. right? So as we are kind of, you know, and this is, it ties in very much to a conversation I was having, but as we continue to move up, you know, some Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And people's uh, basic needs, food, living, shelter, water, electricity, access to internet, you know, access to kind of each other um, is increased, then we open up and and perhaps we remove like labor then then and i think this was very much kind of like the insight and promise and the idea of wanting to support creative people in digital worlds was that this is this is it we build economies of the mind and we build like creative relationships uh where we are exploring and i think in that of course art plays a very focal point in continuing to get people to reimagine reawaken um, and then there is like a revaluing of art and like the, the removal of the trope of the starving artist into kind of like the leaders of this new world. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I think ideally we'd all just have time to like enjoy ourselves and like learn musical instruments and just, you know, 
all be self-expressive, right? And be mm. f- free from any other um, kind of responsibility in terms of like, yeah, having to work or get shelter or, or whatever, just having all of our basic needs met. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting and it's incredible to see how much crypto and NFTs has brought together so many different artists from so many different genres. And like, I've talked to more artists in the last two years than I have ever before from all these different walks of life and stuff. Like it, it didn't used to be this way. It used to be that everybody was kind of isolated because, um, you know, the market was super different and there just wasn't any overlap. Um, so that kind of stuff gives me a lot of hope. Like there's so many systems that are changing. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we can pivot a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious, um, how you begin to, uh, access and assess uh, what it means to have more powerful AI tools in the hands of more people, things like Midjourney, things like Dolly, um, allowing more people to kind of like visualize and, and create art. Um, what, what is that unlocking for, for us all? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's been a trip to watch. Like I've, you know, I've been working with, uh, machine intelligence for a long time in my art and, um, you know, writing my own software and like training little models. And, you know, sometimes it ends up becoming artwork and sometimes you just grind on stuff for 12 months and it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't materialize into anything. Um, but yeah, I've made, um, a bunch of stuff with that. And it's been interesting to watch it go, like I said, from having to have a CS degree, like a PhD in machine learning to, it becoming just like a tool in Photoshop or like a website that you go to, right? And I think almost just like Photoshop or even the camera, like the camera, um, you know, displaced a lot of illustrators because now you can just take a photo and print it in a newspaper, right? And all of these new technologies like change the way we can make images and like have to kind of make people adapt and change what's uh, value, like what our value systems are, right? So I think all these machine learning tools, like, you know, they're just tools for the imagination. So um, I've seen lots of really talented painters and illustrators like generate images and then paint on top of them. You know, like if you kind of squint your eyes, you can see things that aren't exactly there, you know, and like bring your own inspiration to them. I mean, I think it's probably gonna, displace a lot of like stock photography or just like weird, weird kind of clip art stuff. But I bet like, you know, people that make stock photography, unless they have like a really good sense of humor and they're making like really crazy stuff, like they probably would rather be doing some other kind of photography anyhow. So um, I don't know. I'm an optimist. I think, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Maybe um, it's just a good segue to talk about GPT paintings and ideas of mountains and, and let people know how, how that work kind of tied into this concept. Sure. Um, so yeah, like I was saying about like medium, medium aware work, um, I like to kind of make art that's, you know, acknowledges what it is. And uh, yeah, GPT-3 is like a language model trained by OpenAI, where, you know, basically they fed it tons and tons of text and it's trained to predict what word might come next. And 
So you can use it to generate, you know, um, news articles, like give it a headline that says like scientists discover like the world's first unicorn in Madagascar. And then it'll like write a news article about that. And um, so what I did was I wrote a description, basically like an artist statement saying that like I had made this artwork with GPT-3, which is a language model developed by OpenAI and, you know, took the outputs and painted each one onto a painting. And the outputs were things like, and then had it fill in the rest, right? So I didn't exactly tell it the 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 ideas it should um, express or the um, yeah any kind of cultural content. I just basically described that I was making this artwork, and then it made the artwork in a way. And um, you know, like any of these machine learning tools. They're amazing generators, but sometimes they just, it's great by volume, but not exactly by quality. You have to kind of sort through and be like, okay, you know, it's like you're sifting for gold in a river, you know, it's like there's tons of junk basically. And so what I end up pulling out is as much like a reflection of my taste and what I think is interesting as, you know, what the machine kind of output, which is in a way the, the model is kind of like, our collective subconscious or something that's been trained on so much text. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I kind of plotted them like with some visual style, with some code that I wrote in processing. And again, was kind of thinking about uh, Yoko Ono's grapefruit and just these like, you know, text-based um, aphorisms and stuff. And uh, I think one of my favorite ones is something like, ah, oh, geez, I can't remember how, how it goes exactly, but it's like, sort of imagining that you're becoming the wind or something like that. It's like, I could never, I could never say it the way that it's phrased. It's, it's super, super beautiful. Um, but some of them are like, you know, weird news articles about like, are sort of, they're not news articles, but they're kind of these like strange headlines about, you know, imprisoned people or just like, they all they all kind of have a different feel, so it really it run, really runs the gamut of um, sort of the human experience. I and I think that speaks to a very interesting, uh, perhaps novel concept around fluidity of identity of artist as curator and collector um, on no longer having to be one thing and and exist within that box, exist within that label. Um, suddenly, you know, we, we get to almost be anything and exist in this playful nature and you don't have to make the thing that sells at the gallery because that is what, you know, uh, is in, I guess, your interest. But, um, you know, is, is this part of, and this I think is a, a scary concept for a lot of people to, to grapple with. Maybe a younger generation is more trained in quicker fluid systems and, I, I'm just curious how, how you might perceive this and if this is like perhaps maybe a next stage of our, our evolution. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point about like a generational thing, you know, like, um, older generations, like it was so hard to communicate to the world, right? There's so many gatekeepers. It's like, okay, you know, here's my chance to communicate who I am. I have to have this like tight knit identity in this like body of work. Like people are always giving me a hard time in art school. Like you have to have a cohesive body of work. It's like, why? What? Who told you that? You know? And it's 
it's because you want to be able to say like, oh, I'm, I'm the red painting guy. And then you can tell the gallerist that, and they can tell a collector that, and they can tell the newspaper that, and through these like really narrow channels of communication, you could just get like one message across. Right. And I feel like since we can all sort of self-publish things to anyone in the world, you can sort of be known for a lot of different things. And, you know, it's still probably helpful to have like some cohesiveness, but people can always just also follow you because of your personality and what you think is interesting. And there's, I just feel like there's so many ways of being yourself in the world that like, um, life is short and it's like important to just go with, um, with that and like adapt adapt to the changing times and yeah like you said like for me it's almost like having like an artist assistant like my dream would be to just like be so like materially wealthy that i could like hire people to help me make all my ideas and just like have ideas and watch them come into the world and like of course i like make things with my hands and stuff but like i feel like machine learning kind of allows you to do that in a way like um it's been amazing i've been playing with um open ai's dolly and just sort of like describing sculptures that i want to see in the world and like trying to get it to make these like strange combinations of like high-tech stuff with survival technology and these weird collisions of narratives like we were talking about earlier and in a way like seeing these renderings i might not ever share them but they're just like deeply satisfying for me you know, to, to check out, like, I don't even, I don't even have to make them the sculptures, you know, it's like this imagination machine. Which <clears throat> as a collector, I'll say that I generally never collect based on somebody's like past body of work, but really where I think they will continue to creatively go in the future. What is their uptake and implementation of new tools? I love to see experimentation across the board. I think that is is very much kind of like a, a just a shifting and important narrative. And then obviously to have like all of this built on Ethereum, which is an open access permissionless network, allows anybody to go direct to market and to share it. Um, and and maybe that ties in to, you know, perhaps something more recent that you've done, which is wides. Um, <laughs> do you want to do you want to describe that project? Yeah, sure. So. So it kind of had come off the tail end of this um, art blocks project that I did. I really like just burned myself to the bone grinding on that as hard as I could, like and building myself up like, oh, it's my first art blocks drop. It's got to be perfect. I'm going to, you know, I was spending like 13 hours a day working on it and just killing myself. And after that, I was like, I got to just like make some weird stuff and have fun and like experiment and like not have so much like pressure, you know? Um, and I, I love going out into nature and just taking walks. And every time I do, I kind of have, you know, tons of ideas. And for some reason, I was like, oh, I'd be funny if the CryptoPunks got wider every time you traded them. I don't, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I think I was, I was brainstorming with a friend of mine also just thinking about like how things can change and how like, like, everyone's always talking about immutability, right? It's like, you have this NFT and it's like unchanging and it's on the blockchain. It's always, it's always, um, saved there forever. And that's, there's something that's just like emerged over time. Right. So, so yeah, wides, um, it consumes the, uh, 
on-chain data directly from the on-chain CryptoPunks, which is kind of like a long story. Like first they were off-chain, now they're on-chain. So there's this contract that has all the CryptoPunks data. And then my contract, you know, is ingesting that and editing editing the data on chain and counting how many times they're transferred and just sort of like stretching them out to oblivion. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like this smart contract parasite. Um, I was also thinking about like Alvin uh, Lucier. He has this piece called I'm Sitting in a Room where he just like records himself saying, I'm sitting in a room and it's not unlike the room that you're sitting in. And it's this whole, you know, paragraph about basically eroding the content of this message. So he plays it in a room and then he records um, the playback and then plays back that recording and just does it over and over again until um, all the signal gets obliterated. And there's just, it's like hitting a gong and just listening to it mm. go away, you know? And um, that's kind of what Wides is doing. Like it starts with the CryptoPunks. And then by the end of it, it's like, you kind of don't know what the traits were. And it's, it's, it's a little funny because if you know what you're looking for, you can still see it. But a lot of times they're just like these, they kind of just become like Bauhaus style modern art or something. They're just totally, totally abstracted away. Um, and it's also just like really silly, right? It's like, they look hilarious. Yeah. Like their eyes start like hitting, <laughs> hitting the side of the image and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just like funny too. I found it incredibly funny. I, I picked up a, a handful of those. I don't know if I'll ever trade them, but uh, it's it's just like a wonderful metaphor for perhaps what the space has become. Um, you know, the like the, the core value with the punks, and then everything just getting stretched and rendered. And of course, um, just uh, you know, a meditation on entropy and and perhaps intention. Um, you know, you could have any intention in the world as an artist, kind of once you give it away to, to the people, the internet, uh, who knows where that will go. And uh, is that kind of a, a scary phenomenon for you that your artwork could get misinterpreted or taken in difference? Yeah, I mean, I, I like what you're saying about like the, as a metaphor for the whole space, like the CryptoPunks birthing all of this stuff and watching it get distributed. I mean, Wides in a way too, it's like such a multifaceted project where it's kind of this conceptual artwork for me and it has all those art historical references to me. But if you don't know those references, it's just like this crazy meme art, you know? So I feel like it speaks to a lot of different audiences in different ways at the same time, which is interesting. And like, yeah, I'm all about like embracing um, like mixed narratives and like letting things be contradictions and like letting people figure out what what um, what meaning is there. You know, I feel like that's that's really exciting. And also, like I spent so much time really like grinding in the contemporary art world, like trying to make it in the um, art fair scene and stuff and like really grinding away on artwork that was like hyper personal and like had these like really specific prescriptive um narratives and have like totally i haven't abandoned that but i've been like way more playful in recent years just like trying to let go of my like self-narrative and as i feel like as artists we all make these like really crazy rules like it's got to be this way and i have to i have to do this thing first and it's 
I have to keep my integrity by like doing this part by hand, you know, and at some point you can create like a little, you know, mental box for yourself. And it's healthy to just like break out of that. Like wides doesn't look like any of my other art, but it's like totally, it's conceptually tied in. It's like part of the spiral, but it's like, you know, it's off to one side if, if you don't know what you're looking for. When it, when it clicked for me, I really enjoyed that one. Um, I want to shift gears here in, in a, a bit of the remaining time that we have left. Uh, one, you know, you, there was a incredible debate really in the early days about the environmental impact of Ethereum. Um, and you wrote, I think, a very uh, well-researched, just very powerful piece on this. So I'd love um, for you to just describe that moment, how that came about, uh, and what, again, your intention was with that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I had sort of known about the, um, the energy usage of crypto and, and um, Bitcoin in the past, but there was this website that got published um, by a, a fellow artist that you could, you could type in an artist's name and it would show you like, oh, like this, this other artist has boiled a hundred Olympic sized swimming pools to make this artwork. And this other artist has done that. And I was like, like, first off, this is insane. Like, is this true? Like, this is crazy. Like, this is the worst thing ever. You know, I went into it like totally, um, on the negative, um, assumption that this website was true, but the, the numbers seemed so high, like, and also like boiling swimming pools, like that's a crazy metric, right? Like, I don't know how much, I don't know how much energy it takes to boil a swimming pool, you know? Seems like a lot. It seems like a lot, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, um, you know, being a software engineer and just like a data oriented person went looking for more information. And it was also curious, like, um, you know, I've made a, a lot of different um, kinds of art to try to survive in the world and make money. And I wanted to see how it compared to that. So I was, I was gathering up a bunch of data. And at the time, I think Bitcoin and Ethereum combined was like half, half of 1% or like a 10th of 1%, like a super small amount of like the world's energy usage, right? And maybe you can argue that's too big. But I also feel like, you know, our attention is really finite and like focusing on probably bigger chunks of the um the pie makes more sense um but yeah I, I kept going into it and i was like you know how does this compare to t-shirts let's say like they were they were kind of really grilling people and like you know if people had sold like one percent of his audience a 50 dollar t-shirt that would have been like you know 500 times the energy usage than his one drop um and then i started looking into like what does it even mean? Like, how do you go from the whole blockchain all, and all the blocks to like a single artist, right? Like, how does that math even work? And um, it kind of really doesn't. Like, a good analogy is like a train station. Like, the trains are leaving at the same time every day. And if two people get on the train for their morning commute, you can't be like, oh, you two people are responsible for half of this diesel train. Like, the... <laughs> It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work backwards like that. So trying to single out specific people 
is is just crazy. It's a fixed it's a fixed energy use basically. So so yeah, I was writing about all that and just like the contradictions and like the the other things artists do to get by. Like even if you ignore the fact that you can't really work backwards from that, like if as an artist you ask yourself like okay, I need to make $50,000 a year. I need to make 100 grand a year. Like what's the lowest environmental way that I can do that the lowest impact way and like nfts actually are like the lowest impact way of doing it like if you sell an nft for 800 bucks on average or something like that that's that's way 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 better than having like a merch store or if you're like a twitch streamer and you're trying to sell hats and stuff like that's way worse than um selling somebody an nft so it's it's interesting and and um yeah, that narrative about the energy use has really like got its teeth like hunkered into people. It, yeah, there's, well, there's a lot to say there. And, and that also doesn't even touch the fact that so much like clean energy innovation is happening around this or it's, it's hydropower, geothermal power, gas flare capturing. Um, it's actually, in my opinion, like pushing clean energy narratives because the one incentive is just to drive the cost of input as far down as possible. Totally. Totally. And like, you know, the, the infrastructure isn't totally there yet, but like solar is already the cheapest form of energy on the planet. And like, because you're incentivized to find cheap energy, the um, renewables percentage is just going to keep going. It's just going to keep going up. Right. And with the other thing is like, everyone knows that these are problems, right? It didn't take an artist pointing to other artists and playing the blame game to identify that this is a problem. Like all the engineers working on this stuff know it's a problem. That's why ETH is moving to proof of stake and the merge is happening. That's all on its way. You know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this year sometime the merge on, on the test sense is already happening. So, um, you know, the right people are working on the solution. So that's good. And it just became such a, a toxic thing to point at an artist and say, you are responsible for this. I know a lot of people took a ton of blame. Um, and then, you know, there was also a lot of jealousy baked into seeing people be successful in this way and people shunning it. I was talking with a, a professor of visual arts and, and they had become very interested in NFTs and they were telling their class, you know, all about it. And, and she asked, you know, how many people would be interested in using it? None, you know, so it, it has become um, almost like, like viscerally very negative, like the, the, the connotation around it is, um, I think there's been a lot of unfair reactions to it. Uh, but I think it's, it's undeniable that digital consumption is more efficient and sustainable than physical consumption. And as much as we can migrate patterns into into digital consumption and people um, relating that to their identity instead of like mass physical consumption, the, the better we'll be. Totally, totally. And yeah, just the lack of gatekeepers and the like 24-7 global market that's happening, you know, the fact that you can just go directly to your audience and you know, offer a bunch of different stuff. Like I've always looked up to Takashi Murakami because if you want a Murakami, you can go to Uniqlo and spend 20 bucks or you can contact his dealer and, and drop 10 million on like a Chrome 
you know, hundred <laughs> foot Murakami, right? And I feel like in a way, like NFTs allows you to have a bunch of these tiered platforms where if you're if you're an artist right now in art school, like, you know, you get famous on Instagram, hopefully, and then you sell prints like the I don't know what the road to success is outside of NFTs. And I think like as people try to fight their way through that ecosystem of challenges, um, I feel like more people over time will realize that like the crypto ecosystem for art is really just like it's it's exponentially better in like every every measurement basically. Um, well, I agree. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, this conversation has flown. I want to give you uh, any last words that you'd like to share and please let people know where they can find you and your work. Yeah, totally. Um, thanks. Yeah, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of fun um, talking to you. Um, yeah, look me up on uh, social media, Sterling Crispin uh, website, you know, across everything. That's my um, that's my handle. Um, on foundation and art blocks and super rare and all that stuff. Um, just launched wides. It's a really funny project. You can pick one up for like, you know, 40 bucks right now, um, which is the cheapest entry point to, uh, one of my artworks. Um, and it's a ton of fun. It's really funny. The discord's really funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, in general, I would say like life is short, have fun, um, fool around, you know, fuck around and find out what happens as that saying goes and um yeah party on party on man um all right thank you so much colborn bell with conceptual artist sterling crispin this has been the democa minty oh the mocha deminty podcast <laughs> and we'll see you all next time peace see ya